Let's do a little warm-up exercise. Everybody crack your knuckles. And, uh, and I realize some of you are, are visiting uh, today. It'll be your first time. Uh, this exercise is, is kind of more uh, about the veterans. You'll understand when we do it. I want you to turn to the person next to you and with great thespian passion say, Oh my gosh, you're still here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Turn to the people around you. You're still here. Give some high fives. It's like, yeah, you're still here. You did it. Go ahead. It's amazing. You guys are still, you, you're back. I didn't see that coming. Fantastic. Uh, when I was sort of starting out uh, as a... As a young adult uh, disciple. I was in my 20s, and Sonia and I uh, weren't even married yet. We had graduated college together, and we were helping to lead this church. We had gotten involved with it when it was a church plant. It was growing. It was doing great, and it was really my first robust church experience. Um, got to be part of, you know, the, the leadership team and stuff. What were we, like 22 years old, maybe 23 years old, and I was uh, uh, leading worship uh, one day, back in the days when I used to lead the worship band, and, uh, and I was looking out over uh, a church service much like this, and it was just populated with a lot of my friends, and again, you know, this is like my, my first really uh, intense church experience, and, and I just sort of silently was praying a prayer of gratefulness to the Lord. It's like, you know, Lord, thank you for enriching my life. Thank you for giving me a community of people like this. Uh, week in, week out. I've never really had that before in my faith journey, and it's just, it's just a wonderful family of faith. Thank you. And it was one of those times where the Lord just speaks to you at, in a way that kind of stops you. You almost feel it physically. It's like, bam, just sort of hit me. And what he said to me was shocking as I was looking out over my community, over my friends, over the people that were on the journey with me, God said very plainly, they won't all make it. And just stop me dead. They won't all make it. And I was, I was looking out from face to face of people that I genuinely loved and that I felt genuinely loved me. Uh, the Lord of the universe was saying to me, he was sharing his heart with me, and, and I felt that it was a bit of a broken heart. And he said, yeah, they're not all going to survive the faith journey. You know, which stunned me because, again, this was my first community experience, and I kind of felt like, well, this is forever, man. This is just how it is. All these people are my homies forever. That was actually in the age where nobody said homies, but, you know, it's like, these are my people. And like the Lord was saying, yeah, they're my people too, but we lose people, Jordan. And it's kind of training me up to be a leader and a pastor and a shepherd and a father in the house of God. And one of the things he wanted me to know was that, I mean, this is, this is precious. And although it is wonderful, it is hard to keep going. And that's the thing about the faith journey. You can do it. It can be wonderful. It can be powerful. But you have to keep going. You have to keep going. Uh, so we're in the sermon series uh, on the way, 
which is what the very early believers called the life of faith. They didn't know what to call it. They, they certainly weren't going to call it a religion. They didn't even call it the church back in those early days. They just referred to it as the way. This is the way we do life. This is the way you do life as you follow Jesus. And so we're doing a sermon series on the way from like soup to nuts, from A to Z, from, from beginning uh, to end, different steps that you have to make, um, different things that you have to kind of accomplish along the way and to keep accomplishing uh, so that you can finish because the goal is eternity. Uh, the goal is e eternal life. So uh, in the uh, early sermons, we use this little graphic prepared by Quok because he's all, you know, graphic and stuff and organized and artistic. And, and the, first thing, the first thing you have to uh, do as someone on a faith journey is you have to seek. You have to learn to be a seeker. Um, and the essential skill of seeking is honesty. You know, it's not like intellectual power or something like that. It's just honesty and frankness. And particularly, you have to be honest about yourself and about what you see and about what you learn. It's just simple honesty. Almost nobody masters it. Almost nobody outside of this spiritual life masters it, I should say. But you have to learn to seek honestly or you get stuck and drift. And what makes you fail is not complete failure. What makes you fail is drifting. Satan defeats us not all at once. He only defeats us inch by inch. You just quietly drift away and lose momentum, and that's how you get stuck in life. The next thing you have to learn, obviously, is you have to learn to believe. You're seeking after the truth. You find the truth. You find God. Then you have to believe, and the essential skill of believing is deciding to decide uh, and, and the word decision literally means to cut away. And the skill of deciding means that uh, you have to say no to a lot of things in order to say yes to one thing. And you have, to, you have to master that. You have to be able to make strong decisions in life or you get stuck and you drift. And then you die. Um, and uh, the next uh, chunk there is, is to try, which is really about faith. You have to live out your faith. The essential skill of faith is trying. We say this all the time at Blue Water. Faith is spelled T-R-Y. Faith is not believing. It's what you do with what you believe. And so we say faith is trying and should be a life of action. And oh my gosh, Jesus talks about this like all the time, right? All the time. It's like, uh, he who hears my commands and puts them into practice, he says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. He who hears these, com these commands of mine and fails to put them into practice is like some fool who builds his house on sand. It's not going to go well. You're going to think you're building something, but it's going to fall apart. You're going to get stuck. You're going to drift. So trying is the essential skill. Then we talked about changing. Changing yourself is what that means. And the essential skill of change is to realize that, you know, there's an old you and a new you that you are becoming. And you actually get to make that choice. You actually have the power of choice. And the best way to work out those choices is in cooperation with the Lord. You have to plug into conversation and have him lead you through change, discipleship. 101. And then there's changing others, which is not even a politically correct thing to do. You're not supposed to change anyone. You're supposed to um, 
you know, accept, and, and actually we have a word for that, grace. You accept and you change at the same time. You accept and you influence. And what we're trying to do in this world is to influence other people. Jesus calls us to be salt and light. We are supposed to be agents of change. Uh, and changing others is the way that we reproduce in the kingdom of God. You have to gather in. You have to uh, reproduce belief and faith and discipleship in the world. We're called to disciple the whole world, all the nations. We forget about that sometimes, and we think that the goal of spiritual life is just to have fulfilling spiritual experience on earth. But when, when the, the, the big goal really is, as Paul would say, to win some to Christ by all possible means, whatever you have to do. Whatever you have to do to spread the family, to gather into the kingdom, to influence others, figure it out and do it. If you don't, you will get stuck. You will drift. You will lose momentum. That's just how this, thing's, this thing works. You are called to purpose, and your purpose is beyond yourself. Uh, and then we talked about uh, multiplication, the need to multiply, which is not just changing others, but changing lots of others changing people a chunk at a time. Jesus describes kingdom growth as explosive growth. It's like a mustard seed that becomes the biggest tree in the garden. Uh, we are supposed not just to add, but to multiply. Uh, and the key, the essential skill to multiplication is the skill of community. You know, a community can beget a community in the same way that a family can beget a family. It's one thing to have kids, it's another thing to have a family and to reproduce a family. Uh, and when people give up on community, they get stuck, and they become really infertile. And today we're gonna talk about how to continue. Everything that we talked about, from seeking all the way to community multiplying, all those things we have to do over and over and over again. That's the essential skill of continuing. Not just to try, but to try again and again and again. To try always and forever. And doing it over and over again is, is like a separate skill. You know, we can all do it once. We can all do it twice, whatever it is. But to do it your whole life. All right. That takes a, a distinct virtue. That takes some powerful ongoing decision-making. Um, as I've implied, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been walking this faith walk for decades now, although I look incredibly young. Um, and there's a lot about getting older in the faith, uh, gathering experience in life that I really appreciate and, and I really enjoy. One of the things I don't enjoy about the passing chunks of time, is that a lot of my old friends and faith companions, whom I considered better than me back in the day, stronger than I was back in the day, simply haven't continued. They have drifted away. Uh, and, and the question I constantly ask myself is, is why? And I do constantly ask myself this, because it bothers me all the time. I make lots of new friends and lots of new family, but I lose friends, you know. I see people that like, man, you, you were an influence on me. You're not even walking the walk anymore. 
What the heck happened? What went wrong? What made the difference? Because it does seem that there's, that there's a difference between the ability to do it and the ability to keep doing it. Um, life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And the harder you work, and the life of faith takes a lot of hard work, the more endurance is required. And to endure, to repeat for a very long time. Well, it's like it's its own mentality. And, and how do people lose that? How do they not get that? There are dozens of passages in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, about the need for endurance in the life of faith. I mean, tons, tons. Uh, think about Jesus' as one of his most famous parables is the parable of the seed and the soils, right? Uh, the farmer goes along and spreads seed uh, as he walks down uh, the path. And, and you know, some, some seed takes root and the roots go deep and, and the plant springs up and it produces a, a harvest that is, you know, a hundredfold, uh, really healthy. But, of course, as the parable goes, a lot of the seeds, although they take root and grow, they do not endure and that's often what the parable is about. Some get choked out by the anxieties of the world. Some just don't go very deep, and the sun just withers them to nothing. It's really a, a parable that says, hey, anybody can receive the life of faith. Uh, everybody likes the life of faith initially, <laughs> but to endure and live the whole life of faith. Oh, well, that's hard, guys, and I want you to know this early. I want you to be thinking about this early. Matthew 24, Jesus is giving maybe his most famous prophecy about the future, the distant future, the end times and stuff like that. And one of the things he says is, hey, the love of most will grow cold. You know, love is always born with heat. But if you don't continue to stoke it, what happens? Well, entropy happens. Chaos happens. And the heat dissipates and love grows cold unless you keep on it. The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Galatians 5, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. What's the next one? Patience. King James actually uh, translates the word patience as long-suffering. Uh, which is more of a literal translation. I think perhaps the most literal translation of that word to common usage English would be something like stamina. Love, joy, peace, stamina. <laughs> I think that's kind of an accurate translation of it. That's the fruit of the Spirit. If you constantly plug into the Spirit and renew, then one of the main fruits you get is, is just the fruit of endurance, to keep on keeping on. Macrothymia is the word in Greek, macro. You know that word, right? Long, big, long time. That's what the word means. Uh, Hebrews 12, run with endurance the race that is set before us so that you will not grow weary and lose your heart. A huge chunk of the epistles from Peter are about long-suffering, as is a, a big chunk of the epistle of James. And there's a verse in your program from Hebrews 6, which is one of the zillion passages on these things, on endurance and, and keeping on. Uh, and it's just one of my favorites uh, from Hebrews 6, verse 1 through 12. I'll read it from your program. You can follow along or read on the big board. Check out your, uh, 
your smartphone Bibles. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions about cleansing rites and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. All of those things are basic things that we should get down is what he's saying. And God permitting, we will do so. We will move forward from here. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away, drifted off, to be brought back again to repentance. Well, that's sobering. That sounds sort of black and white and dire. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain after uh, the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is Farmed receives the blessing of God, but land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. That's just a paragraph of dire warning. It's like, look, you have tasted all of these wonderful things. You have tasted the power of the Spirit. You have tasted the power of the presence and fellowship of God. You know all of the basic things. But if you fall away, and, 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 and the, the construction of the paragraph, the sentence, kind of more means like if you, if you fall away and kind of stay there, then, you know, the repentance that you once experienced, the idea of thinking anew, is, it's not going to help you. You can screw it up. In other words, you can screw this thing up. It's just like land. You know, the rain comes so that can produce. But if you're producing junk, you know, you might get burned. Judgment cometh. It's like serious about that. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are, not, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He's not unkind or anything like that. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. You have to carry through all the way to the end to realize what you're working for. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience, there's that word again, inherit what has been promised. You know, don't be lazy. Don't drift, in other words. I like that passage. I like that passage because I hate that passage, right? And it's just reminding people who are in a very fruitful spirit, uh, spiritual experience that they have to continue or bad things will happen. Sort of the reality of judgment. And, uh, and Paul thinks it's important for even growing Christians to remember that. Um, Mostly, I think it's a, it's a warning passage. 
think about failure. Think about judgment. Think about what a drag it would be to run a long race but not cross the finish line. You've got to do stuff for a long time over and over again. There is a powerful virtue in, in keeping on. The, the challenge of continuing uh, throughout a lifetime is that a zillion things can crop up to knock you off your stride. I mean, a zillion different things can happen to make you drift. A life is hard. And when life isn't hard, well, that's almost worse because then it encourages you to get lazy and distracted and overly comfortable. And some of us know what a danger that can be. So here's one thing I'd say about continuing to the end. You will frequently be tested as to why you're living the life of faith into why, as to why you're living the life of try. You will constantly find yourself asking yourself, um, what am I getting out of this exactly? What am I getting out of this work? What am I getting out of this deciding? What am I getting out of this changing? What am I getting out of this trying to change others all the time? What am I getting out of this crazy community and all of this hassle? What am I getting out of it? And that question seeps in. I think it's kind of Satan's favorite style of attack. Your motivations, the ones that you rely on to kind of feel good about your faith walk during the week will periodically fail you. And that's just something that happens a lot. Take it from a guy who has been walking the walk for a, a fairly long time now. At first, you know, as things take root in you and the life of faith starts to grow, at first it may be the rush of great fellowship and friends that motivates you. That's how it was for me in my early 20s. But that won't last forever. And some of your friends and family might not last forever. Ouch. You know, the fellowship that thrilled you might bore you or aggravate you, depending on what month it is. Uh, it may, for certain seasons, seem that walking with Christ leads to just blessing and breakthrough, man. Just lots of blessings and breakthrough and prosperities in, in my life, but I'm going to tell you that won't last forever. Sometimes walking with Christ goes through very, very dry seasons. Can I get an amen? You may sometimes get rewarded for being a good person and a good servant. But that won't last. A lot of times you will be a good person and nobody will even look. You'll be a good person and no good deed goes unpunished. You will be the humble person and people will dump on you for it. That will happen. Uh, you may seem to get different sorts of promotions from time to time in your life of faith. You may get promotions in so social circles. You'd be like, wow, people are liking me. It can happen. Or you'll get sort of certain kinds of promotions in church circles. You'd be like, I am increasingly important. Sort of a power of place. But those promotions won't last forever. And sometimes you will get demotions. Sometimes things will get shifted about. And if you're relying on that kind of motivation, 
uh, can be a hard one to use over and over and over again. Uh, the life of faith sometimes just might seem exciting and new. You're learning new stuff and having new experiences, but, you know, it's not always like that, I'm afraid. Uh, sometimes uh, this life of try that we live may not seem too costly, but sometimes it will seem unnecessarily costly. And it's that word unnecessarily that kills you. You know, it's like, ah, you know, following Christ can be costly, but are these costs necessary? Really? You know? And you start to do that calculation. That's the big word, unnecessarily. Uh, can't we just calm down and have a more convenient faith, you know? Sort of faith community life that makes space for all of those other things in life that I have to attend to. You know, we don't abandon faith. We just downgrade our involvement. And that can kill you. That can get you. We're ready to do showdowns against Satan, our enemy. But what if our friends betray us? What if our friends attack us and let us down? Oh, man, that can make it hard to continue. That can make it hard to endure. What if your favorite Christian leader fails? What if he falls away or she falls away? What if you fall in some specific sin and have to suffer some kind of humiliation for it? That can make it hard to continue. What if too many people in your faith fellowship are up in your business? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, requiring stuff from you constantly. What if too many people have your phone number? What if too many people are relying on you for too many things? No, just because I have a truck, I can't help you move. I'm, I'm cutting to the heart now. All right? Worse yet, what if no one is paying attention to you? Worse yet, what if people aren't really appreciating all you do? That can make it hard to continue on. What if you try and try again and just seem to, to keep failing? What if you get tired and God doesn't seem inclined to give you time off from your life challenges? That can make you, can make you mad. And that can make it hard to continue. What what if you've been, you know, doing this crazy adventure for a while and it just seems unimpressive, you know? You just thought there would be more by now. That can make it hard to continue on, you know? All of this makes it hard to continue and, a, and, and you know, a million other things that can come in there. So how do you stick with it every day? Uh, because if you drift, you die. That is the rule. Remember, it's, it's, not, it's not quitting that makes you quit. It's drifting that makes you quit. It's slowing down that makes you quit. Um, no one says, hey, I've decided to be overweight and lazy and die prematurely of heart disease. But a lot of people just simply fail to go to the gym and they kind of eat what's convenient instead of what's healthy. Right? That's life. That's how this thing works. So here are a few tips. 
uh, for, for continuing on, keeping on. And look, there are a million things that can keep you, that make it hard for you to continue. And there are a million things that you could do to fight back and continue. So these are just some tips that I've gleaned from Scripture and a lot from experience. So, you know, whatever, from me to you. Number one, and this jumps out of that scary Hebrews 6 passage that we read. Number one, you are being watched. Now, that's really scary or maybe really comforting, depending on your perspective. But we must be mindful of eternal judgment. There, I said it. I know that's out of style. The problem is that it's all over, the story of the kingdom and the gospel. Judgment comes, you know, whatever, wherever it ends, you know, whatever you're thinking of, eternity is, and nobody knows entirely, it is very clear, very clear through what Jesus said and, and through scriptural commentary that there is a judgment and it is serious. You are being watched. That doesn't sound nice, but I think it's completely necessary for us humans. I think the specter of judgment is exactly what we humans need. Otherwise, we just kind of get vague and delayed and diffuse. We need to know. We need to know that judgment comes. You know, of course, I, I, I don't think that we get judged on our sin, per se. I think we get judged on our trust. Because everybody sins, right? And sin can be forgiven. But if you fail to trust and live the life of trust and live out the trust, okay, that's what God is looking at. You know, and of course, if you live trust really well, you tend to avoid sin. So that's happy because sin destroys your mind and your heart and pulls you away from God. Don't mess with sin. That's not what I'm saying. But the point is to keep on in trust. The point is to keep on the life of try. I think that's what God is looking at. I think that's uh, what Jesus makes clear. Doesn't talk a lot about people's sins. Talks a whole lot about whether people are following through on trust. Um, and and we, need, we need to know that. You guys are awesome, by and large. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, you guys are awesome. We can accept that. Turn to somebody next to you and say, yeah, not bad. Seriously, you know, I've scarcely been around so many sincere, loving worshipers of God and faith adventurers. I think, truly, uh, you guys are awesome people and awesome ministers of the kingdom. But there will come a time for all of us in which we need to remember that there's judgment. You know, we just need to remember that. Jesus said, salt yourself with fire. You are not immune, and that's just worth remembering. That helps me continue. That helps me sober myself up and stay on the straight and narrow, as Jesus described it. Number two, uh, you got to grow up and die. You got to grow up and die to yourself, that is. Any parents out there? Easy to love kids, hard to raise kids. Because when you have to actually raise kids and love them day in, day out, 24-7, you have to die to yourself. You have to mature. You have to grow up. 
And that's just an analogy for all of the faith life. You have to learn to die to yourself. As Jesus said, pick up your cross daily. It will daily feel like you're getting shafted. Get used to it. And once you get used to it and accept it, you experience love and joy and freedom in a new way. That's the paradox of the gospel. Many, many sermons have been preached on that, but you know, it's not about you. Uh, life is self-interest. Life, the life of faith is self-interested, but it's not self-centered. Big difference. Number three, be responsible for others. And this is a very personal uh, tip from me. Involve yourself such that good people are relying on you. This is totally helpful. You know, uh, construct your life in such a way that if you don't show up, it will be costly for people. That if you don't show up, people will get hurt by that. You'll double their workload or break their hearts or something like that. Positive social pressure is fantastic. And you should learn to exploit it. This has been so incredibly important to me, particularly when I felt like quitting life entirely. Most of you know that I have a very serious history with depression. You know, I feel like just quitting life entirely. And, and one of the big lifesavers for me was that I just kept ministering and was responsible for other people. People needed me to show up. And somehow that peer pressure helped. It got me to show up. It got me to put myself in positions where I could actually, you know, experience a little health. This is why we come to church in big part. This is why you should all be in Ohana group where people look for your face individually. I mean, you have to really try to matter to people. Even if they don't like you very much, you know, they should count on you. And that helps. That helps tremendously. I cannot overstate the value of that for continuance, for endurance in, in the life of faith. This will get you through challenges and upsets and interpersonal offenses and all of those things that ruin good people. This will help. Sometimes I'll encounter somebody at church and they'll say something like, I'm just coming because I promised to help serve. And I'll say, awesome, perfect, way to go. And they look at me funny, but that I'm used to. You know what I'm saying? It sounds simple, it sounds shallow. It's extraordinarily powerful. Do it. Do it. Super important. Number four, take a Sabbath. It's like a commandment and stuff. You should have a day of rest. Every, every distance runner knows that the most important training day to schedule is the day when you don't train, the day when you rest. You rest your legs. So you need a, a routine of rest and celebration, and a Sabbath is both. A Sabbath is taking it easy and kind of celebrating what's good. Routines generally in life are unspeakably important. You know me, I'm Mr. Routine, uh, but the Sabbath routine is probably uh, the biggest one, which is why it's like a big commandment. You need to rest. You need to know that there is a finish line each week. You need to know that, or you will become emotionally and mentally exhausted particularly if you're leading a strenuous faith life. And number two, on the day of rest, you need to act as if everything is okay. And that's the harder bit for me. That's what I grew in during the days of my darkest depression. It's like, all right, I'm not doing anything. Okay, 
that doesn't seem particularly helpful. I'm going to pretend that everything is okay. And I say that word pretend, which sounds illegitimate, but actually it's like super important. I'm going to make a choice to act as if everything's okay, and that fed my soul and saved my life, and I'm recommending it to you, and I have it on strong biblical authority that Sabbaths will help everyone if they do them regularly. Five, and this is kind of a bonus one, you'll benefit from some fellow travelers in life. Uh, the friends that I've had for a long time, or maybe sometimes they're even just acquaintances, but I've known them a long time, and I see that they're continuing on in the life of faith. On days that are very bad for me, I will think about these friends or maybe contact these friends and simply say something like, are you still going? And they'll say yes. And sometimes I'm telling you truly, it makes me cry. Thank God. I think I can keep going too. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Sony and I went to China recently and reunited with a guy that we knew 20 some years ago, 25 years ago or something. And, you know, we've all, we, we've both gone to different places to minister. Sonia and I church planning in different places. He was in Africa ministering for a while and is now in China ministering for a while. And, and, uh, and he invited us to come help with his ministry. And we had that first Skype call where we were going to talk about uh, the project. And, and his face appeared on the screen. And Sonia said, you're still doing it. And uh, as only Sonia can do, right? I mean, just, just. You know, I can't do it justice. But he just leaned back in his chair and said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm still following Jesus. And uh, we just sort of took a moment to, to celebrate. It's so useful to have those people. Um, choose them wisely uh, if you can. Pick someone who lives the life fully, not someone who just kind of merely dabbles and believes not just someone who likes you. It doesn't even matter if they like you or you like them. It's just someone that you can admire for the right reasons. You're keeping on. Someone who doesn't quit the life. You know what I mean by the life, right? Uh, it will help if they've been enormously tested by challenges because then their continuation is a witness to you, a witness to your soul. Uh, choose wisely. I get up every day and I go to work. Not just like my office, but I mean work, right? I do the work. No matter how I feel, no matter what life has dished up, no matter what people think of me. If I feel good, I feel good about feeling good. That's fantastic. A guy like me learns to notice stuff like that. If life has dished out something pleasant to me, I feel like I can do more. I have more energy, and I'm stoked. If people think well of me, well, my job is much easier, and I breathe much better. But usually life is a mix. Some people think well of me, some people don't. Life is dished out pleasantly. Life has dished out bitterly. But I get to it every day anyway, and tomorrow I will do the same thing. I promise you. And I will never, ever stop for what it's worth. I give you my word that I won't. And I hope you don't ever stop either. I hope you continue 
and you master the distinct skill of keeping on constantly and consistently no matter what. I hope you continue forever. Because if you continue forever, I believe you actually get to live forever. What's cooler than that? So let's pray.